Welcome to episode 47 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And Daz, uh, you've joined me again, Darren Hill. Uh, how are you feeling, Daz? Are you getting used to the new daylight saving hours yet? I'm a little bit tired, Daz. The hour sets an old man like me back. You know, it feels like you've rolled it back 10 hours. Yeah, yeah, we're all right. We're your whole right. body clock does take a while, the hour sort of age to... To kick back in, doesn't it? Um, what about? Have you gotten over the Bucks' loss yet? We've, we're talking on uh, Sunday night Australian time. Sorry, Monday night Australian time, and uh, the Bucks suffered a, a, a horrific loss today as they led by eight points with a minute to go, and somehow lost in overtime after Giannis was fouled out. So, talk me through the emotions. I mean, what 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 happened there, and, and have you gotten over it just yet? All right, everyone. Um, put a, put a you should put a stopwatch on this, Daz. No, I haven't gotten over it, but th- that also implies the bigger question: where the Bucks are in the playoffs, um, they have a lame duck coach. They've been rudderless, directionless for for weeks. Prunty clearly isn't the answer. The offense is a mess. Effort it comes and goes, and they've you know they're two probably literally the highest IQ backcourt players. Brogdon and Delhi have been out for for six weeks, and so guys like Sterling Brown, Jet, and. Br- and Brandon Jennings are getting a long extended run. In that context, um, I got sucked into an entertaining game that was as brutal a, a regular season loss as any fan base might endure. Um, I'll give you a sampling set. There were not one, but two 25-point swings in the game within a single quarter, literally two, twice in the game. Um, of course, it's Denver and Milwaukee, probably the two most disappointing teams in the entire league this year. You might sprinkle in some Detroit. You might sprinkle in some Charlotte. But two of the probably the most disappointing teams. 25-point swings within a single quarter. Um, that happened twice, Daz. Um, both Malone and Prunty, their rotations had Twitterverse on both teams going, what on earth is happening? You had Mike Malone taking two timeouts within about three minutes of each other just try to stem the bleeding of two random Eric Bledsoe three-pointers. Like, somehow that's... You know, that that's cause for a run. Like, literally, they were 60 seconds apart, so Malone ran out of timeouts. He had some just idiotic coaching. He had Malik Beasley, who played one minute the entire game in in, in overtime, icing it, getting the ball in bounds, and, and Milwaukee's following him. Like, the bench is laughing. And what happens to Malik Beasley? goes and misses two free throws. And what happens? They go down again the, the other end of the floor. They leave him in the game. Bucks follow him again. So I go, the guy literally played one minute, was ice cold for the first 50 minutes of the game. He's in overtime shooting free throws with the game on the line, mind-boggling coaching. Um, The referees gave um, Denver 22 free throws in the second quarter. It's like literally every time there was a loose ball, there was a play that somehow the human beings ran into each other. There was a foul on the Bucs. 22 free throws attempted in the second quarter. Um, They gave Giannis three fouls in a four-minute span in the third quarter after the Bucs had built the lead. Giannis goes out after that, um, and then uh, there was at least two flops. We counted probably three flops if you watched them all by Jokic and Murray. All three of them were called fouls. Jokic flops on one that got Giannis's sixth foul, which is the most unbelievable call of all the Giannis's six fouls. And of course, on the flop, it would have, you know the shot went in, so the shot gets wiped out. Giannis gets his sixth foul, and they teed up Giannis because he complained because he didn't do anything. Um, John Henson shot a three-pointer in overtime with the Bucks down five. He decided it was a time to shoot a three-pointer. 
Um, Joe Prunty's so fucking retarded, his best free throw shooter, Chris Middleton, when they're trying to ice the game up three with three seconds left in regulation, what's Chris Middleton doing? He's taking the ball out of bounds. So your best free throw shooter can't possibly receive the ball. He throws the ball away. Um, James Edward Terry, the 40-year-old veteran who's on the Milwaukee Bucks, decides after Chris Middleton throws the ball away to Jamal Murray with three seconds left up three to go and run past Jamal Murray and must have breezed his elbow. But no one actually saw it. So Jamal Murray is shooting a desperate last-second buzzer-beating three-pointer trying to send the game to overtime. The ball bounces out of bounds. Denver announces, oh, game over, Bucks win. There's no whistle blown, and no one heard the whistle anyway until the referees walk over the table, decide there was a foul called. Jamal, Jamal Murray hits all three free throws. And I could go on and on and on. It was a, it was a game of mind-boggling, probably the worst refereed game I'd seen in the entire NBA this year that included all the fake fouls in Cleveland. It had mind, mind-bending, horrible coaching. It had mind-bending, awful, low-IQ plays by both teams. It had, it had flops and it had runs by two um, suddenly desperate teams, right? Denver desperate to win, you know, win their games and get in the playoffs, and the Bucks just desperate for, I don't know, relevance and to try and avoid playing Toronto in the first round. And, yeah. So well, also, I'll tell you, it would have been hard to beat the Houston Phoenix game that I caught the end of. Uh, and I was actually checking in on uh, across the four quarters where Houston pulled the game out of their backsides in Houston against Phoenix earlier in the week. And that, that was the worst refereed game I've seen for a number of seasons, actually. Uh, if you get a chance to watch Gerald Green's game-winning shot, just watch James Harden push uh, Josh Jackson square in the back as he's trying to close out on the three. Josh Jackson falls over and there's no call. That was just one of many egregious calls in that one. So, But I, I didn't watch all this one, Daz, so maybe you, you, you're spot on in saying that it was uh, the worst officiated game of the season. But there's, I guess from Milwaukee's point of view, you look at it and say, look, you can't control the officiating. And sometimes the way they officiate Giannis is, is mind-boggling uh, at times because he, he's not getting the level of respect that the other guys get. And the way the guy plays, he's always going to have some sort of physicality about his game. So I guess they've got to find that line of what is a foul and what isn't a foul um, when he's both when he has the ball and when he's defending. But a couple of the things I saw from Milwaukee that are just inexcusable low IQ basketball because I went back and watched the last minute of the game. So the first one, so they, they lead by eight with a minute to go. They foul Murray on the layup, so he gets an and one, which was a silly foul anyway at that point in the game. So that then makes it a five-point game. And then early in the shot clock, Chris Middleton decides to take a three. Now, it was a reasonably open three, but it's like that's the time you've just got to play the clock, run it down as far as you can, try and get it. Because had he have run it down as far as he could, it would have been around 30 seconds left. And 30 seconds left with five-point lead. That's a nice spot to be in if you're Milwaukee. But he shot it with, I think, 45 seconds left in the game. And it was just, to me, that was a mind-boggling low IQ play. And then to your point, Chris Middleton's throwing the ball in at the end of the game, their best three-throw shooter. And then not only does he not throw it into the Milwaukee, he throws it to the, to the Denver basket. And Murray, of course, intercepts it. Now, he obviously didn't see Murray, but... To me, with that little time on the clock, you've got to throw it towards your own basket or towards the basket you're attacking uh, rather than the basket you're defending because, of course, once Murray gets it, he's going downhill. And I agree with you, I didn't, I didn't see um, 
Terry Terry certainly didn't foul him, so it was a horrible call. It was one of those ones where Murray just goes up and shoots it and then falls over as soon as he hits the ground and the refs give him the call uh, late. And, of course, he makes all three, three throws. Then, Daz, what you didn't even touch on is Milwaukee then turned it over again on the next inbounds. When Bledsoe stepped out of bounds and Jokic nearly won it at the at the death with like point six of a second left, it was a stunning collapse. I thought. I mean, officiating or no officiating is one of the worst collapses I've seen on, in an NBA game this season. There's boneheaded plays all over the place, but Jason Terry never even touched him, so it wasn't a foul. Um, and you go and Joe Prunty then calls the sideline play with the one you're talking about when Bledsoe steps out of bounds. So I go, there's awful play calling as well. So it's not just on, you know, players and execution. Uh, yet Middleton shot that ball. You're right. There's That's one of many dumb plays. I mean, Denver had a litany of dumb plays. Denver, with you know, 57 rebounds. They were gifted, you know, 37 fouls on the Bucks to 22 for Denver. I mean, they were gifted this game in every way, but they couldn't win it. Because Malone was incompetent and calling terrible timeouts, and Murray's doing stupid stuff. You know, Murray had uh, anyway. It was an, it was an <laughs> it was the worst possible game. If you're a Bucks fan, if you're a fan of the NBA, it's you know it's a, it's a laughing stock. If you're part of the narrative of the of the refereeing, this game is. I mean, the clips they'll send to the league around these flops around the the Jamal Murray. Th- he literally like does a star jump, Daz, to pretend mm. that he's getting hit. He literally, bo- both arms go up in a V, both legs go out in a V. He falls over as the time expires. And I it just, anyway, we, I tried to give the, the referees more credit when um, Monty McCutcheon was on. Was he on the ringer or Bill Simmons? Uh, Zach Lowe. Oh, yeah, there you go, one of the, one of the three. And you sort of hear Zach threw the stat out, stats out at us that, you know, only 88% of, um, what was the stat in the last five minutes, right? Basically, the referees eat the whistle. 88% of known fouls are called in the last five minutes compared to something like, I think it's 96% or something like throughout the game. And so they, they historically eat the whistles, right? And th- there's good arguments for that, which is, you know, they want the players to earn the victory. When, you know, stuff gets tight and stuff, you know, and stuff happens at the end of the game, you want the players to try and earn it. So, Feather fouls or touch fouls tend to not get called. And so that makes this last-second random dry heave of a shot more egregious for the non-call, the flop, and then to still call it made it... Well, he was in a perfect the, position too. Like, it, when I first saw it, the angle I had, I thought, oh, maybe he got him, maybe he didn't. But you look at the replay and the referee's standing in the perfect position to see what it, happened and still called you know, it. And he still called it. And they go, where's the replay? So I go. That's so. There's a whole the whole thing wrapped up in that final, in that final those final three seconds. So yeah, the Bucks had ten chances to win. Denver had ten chances to put the game away. Look, Denver had giant leads throughout this game. They outscored the Bucks forty-one to twenty in the second quarter when they got their twenty-two free throws, and then they disappeared. And then Mike Malone started coaching. Anyway, it was it was a crazy, crazy, crazy game. And to say if you thought Bucks Twitterverse was dark. You know, with with Jason Kidd or Dark, and after they're losing to Charlotte and Orlando, and Dark after losing back to back, and dark, if you thought it was dark, then it's it's probably the yeah, it's as dark as you can get a fan base during a regular season when they've already basically got their 
you know, the, the playoff fate sealed. But this game, these referees, and this, yeah, this is the hard thing to get away from the narrative. This effectively, right, is going to be very difficult to, to, to parse it from. This could singularly decide whether they keep their first-round pick or not. It probably very likely will come down to one game because Washington goes and loses today. So this game was painful on 500 levels there. But... Well, look, Des, so what... I'm going to steal a joke. You've mentioned Bill Simmons. I'm going to steal a joke from Bill Simmons because I've heard the rumour that they're going to make a, a movie of the Milwaukee Bucks season post the Jason Kidd firing. It's going to be called Weekend at Prunties because it's... And, and the plot line basically is that the, the they bring an interim coach in after they fire this coach who's a real prick. And everyone loves the new interim coach. He's a really good guy. But then he dies of a heart attack but they don't want to have to go back to the old coach. There's some sort of suggestion that they may go back to the old coach. So they keep wheeling him out every game and just standing him on the sideline, even though he's dead. And he just stands there. He doesn't call timeouts. He doesn't change the rotations. He doesn't do anything. He's just got this blank expression on his face as he's, as the team just goes slowly downhill and the season ebbs away. And that's when I look at Joe Prunty on the sideline, that's what I think. Is someone going to just tap this guy on the shoulder and him to do something? I mean, it is stark to watch him. If you ever watch a Bucks game, just watch Prunty on the sideline. I've never seen a coach less engaged or just look more clueless since the Lovey Smith era in Chicago uh, in the NFL does. I mean, it is it is. Um, oh, Billy Donovan does give him a run, I think, at times with OKC. But I, I sort of understand, I guess, what Billy might be going through there. But Prunty, it has been, uh, it's it's been unbelievable actually. The the way the Bucks have just fallen away these last few weeks. After he did start, he looked reasonable when he first started. I think what happens is you get the bump, right? There was addition by subtraction when you lose the, you know, the arrogant pressure cooker. Of Jason Kidd, he just a, a sigh of relief, right? And you know, Joe was a bit of a you know positive guy, and they had a cupcake schedule, so they got that bump. But yeah, you're right. It's that I hadn't heard the weekend at Prunties. You showed me a lovely lovely Smith photo, but look, it's pretty clear this is a guy who perhaps is excellent at advanced scouting or film room breaks downs, but he's he has no feel for the game, in game adjustments, has no feel for for rotations or his, his players and just he doesn't have a feel for it. So he just doesn't have that in-game sort of sense, which is it just makes this whole, this whole, uh, you know, this process such a painful one for Bucks fans because you've got a Giannis is scintillating. And again, I was, I don't know if I got caught off there before, but Jabari, you know, you wouldn't guess he had two torn ACLs. He went off for 35 points today. Right, played bigger minutes, 35 and 10, hit 5 of 8 from downtown, 10 rebounds for Jabari. You know, two, he was everywhere. And he had a quote after the game, he's basically saying he's, you know, he almost like a bit of Isaiah Thomas in him, which is like, yeah. They asked him, what's, you know, what's the key to the game? He's like, well, it's p- pretty hard getting spot minutes off the bench, to be honest with you. Not something I've ever done in my life. So I just, I guess, thank my teammates for, you know, forgive me, basically for passing me the ball. So, um, I'll just, my final word on this is when when Bucks Twitter is angry that Shabazz Muhammad didn't play. You know, <laughs> you, I literally there is not a small section of Twitterverse angry that Shabazz didn't get a run. You know, that's where your you know that's where your season is at. I I kid you not. 
fans after, you know, Shabazz, you know, eight points against the Lakers the other night in 10 minutes, you know, sort of pulled his best, you know, like Michael Beasley impression, you know, instant offense. But uh, that's where we're at, Daz. We're, we're lamenting the fact that the 432nd best, you know, uh, player in the NBA didn't get run tonight. Well, his PER is off the charts since going to Milwaukee, albeit obviously a small yeah. sample size. But uh, I guess maybe some of those Bucks fans haven't actually seen him before and understand that that's the way he is. And just quickly on Michael Beasley, if you get the chance, YouTube the dunk that he did on Andre Drummond uh, a couple of nights ago because it is one of the dunks of the season uh, and a, another great moment. He's actually had a, a reasonable year, Beasley, there at the Knicks. But I wanted he to has. talk... Does about uh, that last play because we're, we're seeing a lot of this uh, of the official officials just sort of buying into these guys flopping around and falling over on threes. And I watched the game this morning, the Spurs Rockets, and it was 183. The Spurs won easily. Now the Rockets were very flat; they didn't really show up. So I'm not reading too much into the overall result, but I think defensively. If, if people want to know how to beat Houston or at least make it more difficult for them, this is going to be the game film that they watch because one of the keys to beating Houston, obviously, is, is defending without fouling, and it's something that we spoke about last year in the playoffs. And I watched what the Spurs did today, and I think it's something that teams should be looking to do going forward with this Houston team, and that is... If, because because Han's always going to do that. I mean, he's always going to be flailing himself around looking for calls, right? What the Spurs did, every single time he got a call, a foul call, they went over to the referees and they argued, either argued the call or asked for clarification on it, right? And what they were doing was, and it was done in a respectful way, so it wasn't done in the Kevin Durant sort of way that we saw in Milwaukee, and I'll get your sort of thoughts on that as well at some stage when we sort of break down the Western Conference. But what they were doing was basically saying, look, we're going straight up and down. What did we do wrong there? And then the referees that have a back and forth with them on what you actually did wrong on that play. And what I found that was happening then was they're now watching the Spurs in on defence rather than watching Harden. And I think what where the referees get in the problems is they're watching the, the, the offensive player and the offensive player flowers himself around, falls over and they think, oh, well, he must have been fouled. Whereas what happened today was you could see the referees started to watch the Spurs players and what was happening was Harden, they were running him off the three-point line, he'd go into the rim and either LaMarcus or, or Powell were just there and they were just going straight up and down and he's looking for contact, looking for a call and not getting the call, and then getting further and further frustrated, and he ended up having a really bad game, even though he, he put up numbers, but it was a, a very poor performance by James Harden's measure. So I think there's something to be said for that. If you're going to just ask the referees to look at the way we're defending, rather than look at the way he's playing on offence, and I think what happened there today was it got James Harden frustrated. They weren't getting the calls. They weren't getting those cheap points at the line. And as a result, they end up with 83 points and an easy Spurs win. So I could see certainly the Spurs doing something similar today. There's a bit of a conspiracy going around the internet that Houston lost the game deliberately so they don't have to meet the Spurs in the first round. I'm not sure I'd go that far. But I think teams could learn something um, from watching the way the Spurs went about it. And I guess the opposite way of what you would have seen from Kevin Durant uh, against the Bucks last week. Yeah, I didn't see the game, but I, and I, I guess I didn't grow up 
I'm not an ex obviously an expert in refereeing, um, but I hear your point where you know, if you're watching the offense versus watching the defense, I think we were always coached that you know they're going to watch the space actually in between. They're taught to watch where contact occurs, not just to stare at the offense or the defense, but that's neither here nor there. Which is, I think, your point was Jamal Murray being you know that'll be the, sh- the you know the the poster child for referees but again i don't even want to say that because the the whole officiating for the whole game was such a train wreck it, it didn't surprise anyone that they made up a call at the end so yes that will be held up but uh you know james harden famously kicks out his legs and get the calls and, and that sort of thing but um yeah look it, it, um it's hard not to watch some of these games and, and wonder what you wonder what they're watching um but look if it's Go straight up, hands off, uh, arms straight up. Don't reach uh, and don't push. I reckon the those are the kind of the four or five mantras of you know of defense. And I reckon that Pop and the Spurs have have grilled that probably better than any team in the league. Um, I think, especially over you know over the course of a season, like you said, defend without fouling. If you're going, if they're actually then also have the maturity in the heat of the game to go over and ask the referee a reason to question, you know, using that frame, you know, was there hands on, hands off, arms up, arms straight, you know, did I jump straight up? Did I have position on my feet set? You know, all the sort of, you know, the, the basics of having, you know, defensive player having advantage or neutral position, then that's, that's gotta be an advantage. And so I, I think that's, I just don't think many teams have the temperament, which is probably more the point. Right, which is, I think, all the coaches are probably understand how the, how the calls are meant to be made, and you know, as a player, it's hard to tell if you're straight up if you're, you know, eighty degree angle. Um, so in the heat of the moment, you know, no one ever came into the foul. But that's the one thing where you just don't see, you know, besides pop, what other teams have the temperament, which is the kind of the question you're begging in my mind, had the temperament to have a calm conversation with the referee to challenge it without not to challenge it but to seek understanding. You know, and then the challenge if they think something was different. And not many teams jump to mind other than, you know, the usual suspects, the Spolstros or the Pat Riley's when he was on the sidelines and, you know, and, and, and Pop. Well, I think the, Sir, Jazz, the Jazz have got a similar disposition too because I see Gabby Quinn doing yeah. some, some, some similar things. Uh, and I just think it, 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 it's such a critical part of trying to stop Houston is keeping them off the free throw line. And if you can respectfully talk to the referees and let them know this is how we're trying to defend. So tell us if we're doing something wrong and having a respectful back and forth on that and then trying to find where's the line that they're going to draw tonight, you know, rather than walking over there and calling them a bitch-ass <coughs> motherfucker and being tossed from the game. Because uh, I think it's great. I mean, is this... Well, we'll jump to Golden State now too because I'm I'm interested in this. Is this a problem there? This, Kevin Durant's had five ejections this year. He's admitted himself he's carrying on like a dick. So it's not like we're just picking on him. He said this himself. That's the most uh, ejections since Larry Sanders. Uh, in I think it was 11-12 with the Bucks. Is this a problem? I mean, if you're a Golden State fan, are you starting to be a little bit concerned that players are going to be a bit under his skin or that he's just going to go off like this because they need him more than ever once the playoffs start. Well, fans just want their teams to win, right? The Denver fans didn't, you know, didn't go over and console the Bucks bench, you know, for the 37-22 foul differential today, right? So fans, fans don't really care 
right? So long as their team wins is my is my point of view. Because look, most fans aren't like us, where we try to cr- cl- you know clinically and critically analyze and gather multiple perspectives. And even we, right? I, I'm first. Of, I probably have biases, but I try my best. I try my best not to. But I would say for the other 29, for the for the NBA fan at large and for the league at large, I would say it's a problem. I say it's absolutely a problem. You know, you've heard all season long about how whiny Toronto is, and they're just a little bit more polite about their whininess, or they just don't have the press that Golden State has. But Toronto has been, you know, whinging the entire season. And then, you know, I watched—I'll be honest—the first time I watched Golden State close up for weeks, and it was, you know, because the Bucks were there the other night, and I—I I couldn't believe it. In an innocuous game that doesn't really have import, it was Kevin Durant's first game back in a couple of weeks. And Draymond was there, and they just, they complained about everything. And just as you said, right, he, the worst thing about Durant's getting ejected in this last game, it was like 20 seconds left in the half, and he'd gone in and, you know, done a flop and didn't get the call. Or he, he, made a, he actually made a shot attempt, and, and they got the rebound. He was complaining in their own half court under the basket to the referee while his teammates had the ball, Daz. So I think, forget the, yes, the, their fans don't really care. They just want to win the game. The NBA at large, I think, suffers when, you're, when you know, your, your top teams and your top stars carry on like this and can't control themselves. But I think that the question is for Steve Kerr and for his teammates. I mean, it's one thing to have the volatility of a nut puncher like Draymond or the volatility of a Rashid Wallace, right, where you just don't know what's going to set him off or the, that volatility of a Boogie Cousins. And it's no small import, no small impact when you've got a, an unstable type character or an unpredictable temperament or right someone who's just on edge and you don't know what they're going to do or how they're going to handle situations when stuff gets hard or doesn't go that way, doesn't go their way. Now imagine that's your that's your star player, that's your MVP who is going on and carrying on and, and you, you, if your teammates are going, I can't even rely on this guy. You know, what's he going to do next? So literally in the middle of a live ball scenario, and they've got the ball in their half court. He's under the, under the hoop saying exactly what you said. Call the bleep and follow you bleep and mother bleeper, right? It's literally what he said, and he got teed up twice, and off he goes. So I think this is a, this is a problem for Golden State teammates. Because Steve Curry reads Steve Kerr's comments after the game, and he goes, yeah, he snapped. Like, what can he say, right? Steve Kerr's not going to call him out or berate him and he shouldn't in public but he just goes yeah he snapped and I go that there's nothing nothing your coach can say is nowhere you can go from it so uh, it, look I, I don't know I don't listen to the you know to the um, the the leather chair sessions when Katie goes on Bill Simmons podcast I don't know if you listened to the last one no, but I haven't listened to any of them there's something there's something going on there. So there's the, the levels here. There's we got officiating, which has been an issue all year. We got flopping, which seems to be worse than ever. We've got the you know the recent Jamal Murray Bucks game tonight, which is almost criminal in its in its actions. You've got Toronto whinging all season. You've got now KD being an MVP, being ejected five times this year, just carrying on like a fool. But again, that wasn't the only thing. I think I sent you. I think I sent you a, a photo. Or I put it in, in, our, in our Facebook group, where literally Draymond drove to the basket, and you know, as you do, he's driving to the ball, and he's, his arm, his left arm, literally karate chopped, like punched Zeller in the mouth. Zeller, who was guarding him on a switch, 
and they called the follower. His offensive follower just snapped Zeller's head back, you know, popped him in the mouth. And there's incidental contact, right? So he didn't intend to punch him, but he punched the guy. He karate chopped him in the face, and Draymond carried on and carried on and threw up his arms and made a scene. And he didn't get teed because his language wasn't as vulgar as Kevin Durant. But I go, what, what, what's it say about the temperament, the mindset, the environment of a team when you can physically karate chop a man in the face and then be totally coherently comfortable arguing about its validity? That's what I, I cannot I cannot circle that square or square that circle. I, I can't get there, Daz. And that's where I go, I don't know. I don't fully understand the entitlement or the fear or the – I don't understand it. But it is it is making the game less enjoyable in a season, which has been, for the most part, thank God we're not talking about Russ Westbrook. You know, it's been a season that's been, for, for the most part, far more enjoyable than – you know, last year's highly predictable sort of set of outcomes. So that for me is my, that's a long way to answer your question about Katie's carrying on is that it's taken away from the enjoyment of the game. Oh, I agree. I, th- I think the, the thing, well, the point I was sort of making, you know, I guess too, is looking at it from the fans point of view and saying, would you, are you concerned about their, their mentality and about their psychology and, and whether they're going to handle any adversity? Because as soon as this team has any adversity, they just start bitching. And that's their that's their go to response. As soon as anything happens, it's, it's the everyone else's fault. And I think part of the problem is, particularly with someone like Kevin Durant, is he surround, because of all the criticism he copped when he when he signed with Golden State. And we can talk about whether that's that was fair or unfair. I think some of it was fair, some of it was probably was a bit over the top. But I think he he's a guy that surrounded himself with sycophants really his entire career. And Bill Simmons certainly fits that mould. If you see some of the carry on that he has, has had with Kevin Durant over the times that they have spoken. And, I mean, this, you know, going out there and having your own fandom Twitter accounts to go and defend your position with people and things like this, like, there's, I guess they've just sort of built this bubble around themselves where everyone's just blowing smoke up their asses all the time and they honestly think we can't do anything wrong and they go out there and, of course, once they commit a few fouls, it's like, oh, my God, how can you dare say I've committed a foul? You know, I don't think Draymond Green's thought he's committed a foul in his entire career. And then, and the, and to the point on Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr was the one that started the, the bitching the other night against the Bucks. I'm not sure if you saw earlier in the game, but basically the first drive that KD had, he got fouled, and I, I admit it was a foul that the refs missed, and Kerr bitched about it for the next three plays. Like, it wasn't just a quick bitch. He was berating the refs up and down the court for the next three possessions that Golden State had the ball and it was just like that that sets the sets the tone then for KD to blow up himself later on so in the what, game so it's fair observation when I saw those I'm giving I give Kerr a lot more credit when I see Kerr do that that's just Kerr being in KD's camp in KD's corner his first game back in a couple of weeks why is he doing that well Giannis decided he was to be aggressive so Giannis came out firing he was attacking he was attacking everywhere. And so I go, that's the other the other thing which in context, right? It wasn't just about Katie or about Kerr, you know, complaining or going to the going to the wind or setting the tone. That wasn't it that's definitely part of it, and I did see that. But I go, that was in response to Giannis is being aggressive. Right. And Giannis is creating contact like all superstars who go to the rim have done for the last fifty years, right? From Jordan to LeBron to to everyone, right? You, it's there's contact in there. Right. 
So that, that for me was Kerr just defending his guy, right? What, what I don't like if I'm a, if I'm a Golden State teammate is that um, there was a play where Giannis just trucked KD. KD was trying to get in his way on a two-on-three break, so Giannis and someone trailing against three Golden State defenders, and Giannis is just like, fuck it, I'm going to the hole. And, and KD tried to get in his way, and he just literally bounced off Giannis and flew underneath the baseline. And Giannis dunked, and of course he cried, even though his feet weren't set. He didn't make a basketball play, you know. He didn't try to draw a charge. He's just trying to get in the way. Bounced off Giannis and went in as a you know very full speed sort of play, and he starts crying. So when I see that, it's not the play because it wasn't a fall. It was an incidental contact, and it wasn't a charge, and it wasn't a fall on Kevin Durant. It was just it was contact. What happens is that this is malmanhood stuff. This is ego. This I'm not getting the call. This guy's showing me up in my court, and it's just all about this this persona and the ego that, oh, my God, I need to be better than the next person. So it has to be someone else's fault. So that's what, I, that's what worries me about Kevin Durant and his, his, his mind in the right place. Whereas, was Kevin Durant doing this last year, you know, leading up to the finals when he was shooting pull-up daggers from 30 feet in LeBron's face? No, I right, think I don't, the, and this is where it comes back to, and he, he actually said this something himself. He said, I thought when I won a title, all these, all the sort of haters, I guess, would back away. And I don't think, in his mind, I don't think he haters. feels like he got enough credit for them winning the title. I think he thought, if I win the title, it's all going to be gravy. Everyone's going to love me. And, and it's going to be a little bit the way it went for LeBron, where there was a grudging respect for LeBron in Miami. And, of course, LeBron still had to put up with the haters from now and again. But... Yeah, it was particularly when the LeBron beat the Spurs in 2013 was such a magnificent series and a great performance. You just had to tip your hat to him and everyone had to say, look, this guy is one of the all-time greats. Now, KD obviously had a great year himself, but I don't think he, he felt the love, if you like, from the NBA community that maybe he would, have, he would have liked to have seen. And he's still playing with that chip on his shoulder this year because I think he maybe he feels in his mind... Unless I win two or three titles in a row after going to this team and making this move, people aren't going to give me my due. That's just, look, that's a bit of you know, five-cent psychoanalysis from me, but that's sort of what I read. And he did say, you know, I thought things would change after I won the title last year, and it didn't. And, and one of the reasons he is carrying on, for want of a better word, this year is because he's sort of even more hungry to win the second title, perhaps, than he was to win the first. And that's, that's in his words after the game. I've got two more points. This is, a, we, we, this is a really interesting conversation. We've maybe even carried into the offseason. But uh, two more points I'll make. One is the more tactical point where I also think there's... Um, uh, this is what Golden State's fourth consecutive year. Right, yes. they'd be going yep. going to the finals, right? And now they're they're hurt, and they're wounded, right? So and so you know they were kind of coasting to this one seed, two seed, right? That's the mindset they've had for the last you know let's say two hundred and fifty days, and now it's not going to be easy. And so, and they're tired, and so they may just be tired and cranky and grumpy, and it's it just isn't as fun, right? The fourth year in a row, it's not as fun, and you've heard we've heard this actually more and more. Uh, in these conversations about, you know, an, analyzing where uh, LeBron has been at and just th- this energy it takes to get up year after year after year to play 100 games. So I think there's just a bit of they're cranky, they're edgy, they're tired, and it's not as fun. 
Um, so I think there's that going on, and not to mention that Draymond is, is played. Uh, he's not played this badly since I don't know since he was a rookie. The Draymond just isn't isn't Draymond. So there's that. So they're just kind of edgy, touchy, tired, uh, cranky. And then, but the bigger conversation I think is your point about the uh, surrounding himself with sycophants or you know these kids, um, kids, Kevin Durant's age and younger, growing up in bubble wrap basically. And you hear you hear the the generation. You hear Shaq and Barkley talk about it vividly when you had Shaq attacking JaVale McGee of all people last year, right? It's like these guys are thin fucking skinned is the point that Shaq and Chuck, you know, and the, and even T Mac has hinted and Pippen, you know, when they, when they analyze it, they've all not just hinted. They, they've talked about it, that these guys just can't take criticism and they're so sensitive and so consumed with what other people think that I go, that's probably the bigger conversation where you've got the, the whinging NBA and the whinging Toronto Raptors and the whinging, you know, the whinging Golden State Warriors and the flopping Denver Nuggets and the flopping James Harden to get himself the free throws. And he's got this, you know, they're just so sensitive and have to be right and, and have to, you know, have to protect themselves and their ego that you just wonder, you know, where it's just, is this just a culture of, of the age of the league in another, this is another community of this age that we live in of constant 24 seven, right? Twitter verse feedback and the haters, whoever these haters are like, he thanks Taylor Swift. Did she invent that word? Like what's a hater? Like, what is that? Who's a hater? Is it just the angry trolls on Twitter? Or does that mean Zach Lowe? Or is that, who is that? Who's a hater? And why do you give people like who's a hater power to make you think the way you think, right? So I go, this gets into, you know, grumpy old man stuff, Daz. I'm like, man the fuck up. Look in the mirror, look at your teammates, and sh- sh- fucking shut up and play ball, right? Get some testosterone. Turn off the Twitter. Turn off the Instagram. Turn off Snapchat. Turn off Kardashians. Fucking go in the locker room. Shut up play ball. And let's see, let's see some competitiveness, right? So I, I just want them to shut up, <laughs> really. Well, I think the, it's detracting. It's detracting. Oh, there's no it really doubt. Is. I think the setting up of his own Twitter account so that that was the the look inside his psyche as much as anything for me. The fact that the guy and who, we don't even know how many he's got. We can only who try knows, and guess right? how many he's got. But he goes out there looking for the trolls. I mean, you know, Daz, you don't go on the Twitter and and read down in the dimensions of anything no, that you said because it is a dark place as soon as you go there. He used to do it and then, of course he had all these different um, Twitter accounts that he's putting putting different points out there, usually obviously defending his own position and I think this one was de- defending his move away from OKC so he was actually going out and searching for these people that are criticising um, the decision that he made to go to Golden State and things like that. So I just think that the criticism that he got uh, for the, for the move to Golden State, I think that's stuck in his craw quite a bit uh, since since he made the move, and that's why now. I so I just I, I I'm missing it because I go anyone with half a mind, a half a mind, not even a not even two thirds of a mind, as a half a mind, would say you joined the greatest regular season team in that history of this magnificent league and you don't think you're going to get criticized like what the fuck did you think was going to happen 
you did this for you. You didn't want to play with Russ in a small market. You wanted to join a 73-win team so it would be easier. So why are you complaining about it? You did this. You chose this path. So what you have manufactured, this is your choice. There's no they. There's no hater. There's no. There's nobody out. This is you. This is your life design. That's what I go, who is giving this cat advice? It certainly isn't a grown-up, right? I go, your choice. Shut up. You, you know? But anyway, I, I, I've told you, I've said it, I've said it so many times. I, and what I'm, I, I'm going to say it again to go on record to have the the audio history of, uh, I was as violent and a LeBron hater, right? I disrespected it. I hated the decision. I hated that he left. I hated that he didn't want to try and lift the entire Cleveland franchise up. I hated that he played with his pals and I resented it, thought it was not very competitive. I hated it. hated everything about it, how he did it, what it represented, how he pulled it off. I was so glad he only won two titles out of four years. And now what's happened? LeBron is basically the guy who tries to he's – he's literally trying to lift all boats. He's trying to lift the league and lift players. And, yes, of course, he controls that Cleveland franchise, but who wouldn't – how can you blame him? I go, LeBron, for all his faults, and there are rumors, he keeps his mouth shut and he balls, and he hasn't missed a game again this season, right? He just plays, and he plays, and he plays, and he plays ridiculously hard and still doesn't get enough credit. So for that, I have just gotten enduring respect for how LeBron goes about his business now. And and Kevin Durant, who was like the lovable Southern kid from Texas and, you know, played the little... You know, this little OKC team who's like the lovable kid where he just was so happy for that 2011 team and just wanted him to be good. And, oh, you can do it. He's so amazing, this you know special freakish seven-footer who could shoot 40% from deep. And now he's the asshole. I just can't believe it, Daz. I go, this, the pressure of this league, the competitiveness of the league, the, right, the way that they're all sort of intertwined. It, I can imagine as what it must be to live inside of it. So I guess I do empathize a bit to have the lovable, you know, kind of kid from the South now turn into this angry, grumpy, paranoid, petulant, whiny, complaining. What what happened? What happened to you, KD? <laughs> I go, look, watch, watch what LeBron does. Literally, watch how he goes about his business. And just a business, man. Just go about the business. And I just, uh, you just wish he'd do that. And I go, I, that's the other thing. Right? I just, I, I wonder how, what, what Steph think about this stuff? I don't know how close those two are, right? I go, who's KD actually close to on this team? Well, I think so the I, whole team has a bit of a chip on their shoulder anyway. I mean, we saw this sort of, it started to manifest itself toward the end of the 72, or 73 win season. And it certainly came out more last year. And it's it's gone on to, I think, another level even again this year so and I think it look I honestly think it comes back from him paying far too much attention to social media paying far too much attention to narratives around the league which LeBron does to an extent but I guarantee you LeBron's not sitting there reading his Twitter mentions you know Kevin Durant clearly does, and I think it's 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 affected his psyche in terms. Yeah, of, that's and, a bad and, place to be. He's admitted himself. He he's admitted himself. He's he's not 
been impressed with his own behaviour on the court. So there's something going on there. Um, and, you know, you hope that he turns around because there's no question. You've got to respect the guy's game. I mean, he's, he's got a fantastic... He's a fantastic player. He's going to go down as one of the all-time greats, you think, once, once it's all said and done. But you'd hate to see his, the legacy tarnished by continuing along this line um, of behaviour. So we might move on from that. Certainly we'll, we'll probably revisit that again um, as the season goes on. So I want to quickly run through the Western Conference and then the Eastern Conference, but I also want to touch on uh, some teams that, or a team from each conference and try and do this across the next few weeks that has missed the playoffs and sort of, I guess, get our, our quick opinions on their season and what's gone right, what's gone wrong and what the future is for those teams. But just quickly breaking down the playoff race now. So I think the Rockets are clearly, they're going to be number one. The Warriors in two. The Blazers have a three-game lead. They look like they're going to lock in for that three seed. The Spurs have actually climbed up into four now, Daz. They're eight and two in their last ten. Now, that's been a very home-heavy schedule. Uh, They actually go on the road again. They've been absolutely atrocious on the road. They start at the Clippers uh, on Wednesday. So that's something to watch uh, before we get too carried away with the plaudits for the Spurs. Uh, The Thunder have had a bit of a mixed mixed bag. They're six and four in their last ten. Uh, I've caught some of their games. They were they were beaten by the Spurs uh, earlier on in the week, which was a massive win for the Spurs because it gave them the tie in the season series against the Thunder. Thunder just threw the game away again uh, with some really boneheaded plays down the stretch. That's been a theme for theirs. Uh, the Jazz in six. The Jazz looking good, 7-3. Also in their last hand, a very easy schedule, which we've touched on a few times. Uh, the T-Wolves. And the Pelicans round out. Now, the Pelicans are probably the team to watch the most as. They've got a tough schedule coming up, and they've lost some bad games. They uh, lost to the Cavs uh, on the weekend and the Thunder today, and they are now only one game up in the win column on the Nuggets, and the Clippers are another two games back. So have you caught in the Pelicans? I've seen a little bit of, of the Pels uh, in the last week, and I was pretty high on them last week, and they've, they've played well in patches, but they're just not putting it together for four quarters at the moment. Yeah, they've had a pretty rough stretch here. They've owned four in the week, right? Lost to the Houston, got bombed by Houston, lost to close in Portland, lost another close one to Cleveland on the road, and then there's another close one to OKC, so just not closing out. So they've actually looked pretty good, right? So the, this is the longer conversation around, you know, AD you know, has been, you know, fantastic with, with Boogie off the court, um, but probably more more importantly in many ways for for OKC is they just they're getting much more uh, consistent performance from your Etwan Moores and your you know um, you know Darius Millers and Ian Clark's you know this flotsam and jetsam as we would have called it you know say six months ago you know these players to fill out the wings and shoot three balls right they're getting pretty good performances right they're they're pretty reliable and any given night you know the Solomon Hills back and you know he at least is, he's a body and he can play the wing. And Miritich has been, you know, he had, a, he had a rough game against OKC, but he's been pretty good next to AD. As, and I guess probably I should have mentioned first was that Drew Holiday's had a really good run, hasn't he? Mm. And so Drew, Drew's been playing really well, and dare I even say Rondo's been playing. Look, Rondo's been playing NBA caliber. Right? I'm not going to go too far. He's, he's, he's played NBA caliber basketball, right, um, for the last little while. So from NLP's perspective, look, they've probably gotten as much as they can get from this squad and from this roster, and it looks like they're it looks like they're going to fall just short, isn't it? So I've seen bits. I haven't sat and watched the full game. I watched the you know I watched the highlights of you know them against OKC. And it was a 
you know, they just they just didn't have it down the stretch. And Paul George was, you know, pretty clutch. Um, but looks like they're going to fall just short. It'd be would be my prediction. Yeah, AD looks a little bit like he's running out of gas to me in terms. He's getting of tired. Where yeah. he was in March, which was absolutely ridiculous. On sort of early March and even back into February, where there was a, there was legitimate MVP buzz around what he was doing, but he hasn't been able to maintain that level of performance. And I think that's the level that they've needed him at. And and they've missed. I think it's been more stark now not having Boogie Cousins and missing him. Uh, in the last week or so. So we'll see. Look, they're still up on the Nuggets at the moment. The Nuggets don't give me any confidence uh, that they're going to be able to, to finish over the top, and they're, they're not going to lose his schedule themselves. Uh, so, and, and I believe they play each other this week as well, so that's going to be one to watch uh, to watch out for. The Clippers, they do look done, does their two games back now. They lost another game to the Pacers today. Typical Pacers game. Clippers led for the whole game, and then last five minutes, Pacers took over. Uh, Oladipo had a great game today uh, to lead yeah. in there, and Bogdanovich hit a couple of... Oh, the, the Indiana Pacers call him Bogey as well, so there's something to remember um, oh, yeah. from Indiana. So, And it was interesting, actually. The Indiana callers were talking about Oladipo, and they were saying um, it's a first-year All-Star syndrome where guys think they, they, they need to take over in games and probably be higher usage than what they should be. So they've, they've certainly clicked onto the fact that maybe Oladipo's been pushing it a little bit too much and forcing the play a little bit too much lately, but he was much better today. Uh, he had When I looked, it was 30 points, 12 assists, 5 steals. Uh, he was all over the place today and really put his stamp on that game and probably ended the Clippers' season. It got me thinking about the Clippers, and I'll, I'll, actually I'll come back to the Clippers a bit later because we are going to talk a little bit about Detroit. And I, and I have a bit of a hot take on the Clippers um, and what they their season could have been. So, but look, not a lot's changed. The, the big another quickly on the Kawhi situation in San Antonio. He's now gone back to New York um, to rehab again. And now the latest story to come out, and there's been so many different stories coming out, and it is relevant to another guy that's gone out injured. So Isaiah Thomas for the Lakers has gone they had hip surgery uh, so he's gone for the season that's going to be a four month recuperation period as well I read so he'll he'll be out obviously until into the off season and then hopefully right for the start of next season but Kawhi Leonard is looking at a guy like Isaiah Thomas and thinks I don't want to be that guy I don't want to come back make this a chronic injury make it even worse than what it already is and miss out on the big contract so there's some school of thought that he's just sitting back at the moment waiting for that max offer to come in in the off-season, signing it, and then you can either try and work your way into a trade if that's what the way it ends up going, or come back and play for the Spurs, but at least make sure you've got that contract set up because if he comes out this season and doesn't look right on that quad and has people questioning him, he could end up in an Isaiah Thomas-type situation. Now, how much value give that, I don't know. It's a little bit of hearsay, but it is coming from some of the the San Antonio local reporters, which gives it a bit more credence, in my view. But it's a sad story with Isaiah Thomas and just a damn right weird one, the way things are going with Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, and Pop even came out today and said, again, they keep asking him, right? Of course. And it's just, again, if this was anyone but Pop and what they've done the last 20 years, we'd have a lot more you know, WTFs written about it where he's literally not in sync with what his star player is doing, where he says when his, I think he said when his group, 
when his group when his group says he's ready, he'll be ready. You know that is a if that's his I, that's that's it. You said he's in New York. He's getting his own doctors, and we can we can hypothesize about the motives by why by which he doesn't want to play. Money would be a big one. Pain might be another one. General, who knows? Hundreds of possible reasons why he's not playing. Um, and it's a weird, weird, misaligned, non-communicative GM, the coach, and the player, and their camp not on the same page. Very, very, very weird for San Antonio, and only because it's San Antonio is it not a massive deal. So it's mm. weird, weird at best, yeah. And let's hope Isaiah Thomas quickly on him that he he can come back. The Lakers have said they might um, they might be interested in re-signing him. It would be interesting if they did sign LeBron the off season and then Isaiah Thomas comes back. That might be a little bit awkward. Look, I think that's I think that's magic or that that group saying nice things about a player, you know, and when they have nothing to lose by supporting him, I think I feel who, how can you not feel badly for it. You know, for what's happened to fight through his injury and then get completely jettisoned by by Ainge and then fighting through rehab and then basically, you know, he didn't do himself any favors, but, you know, being sort of, you know, frozen out in Cleveland and then shipped off to L.A., coming off the bench behind LeVar's kid now that, you know, the hip's flaring up again. It's just... Well, the Celtics misdiagnosed him too, and that's where, again, the Kawhi... Uh, situation sort of mirrored that in that sense that yeah. there was a mis- misdiagnosis there. He went and played on it. It got worse, and then this is the sad situation that he's ended up in. So, uh, look, that- I, I, I'm not going to compare tendinopathy with the, you know with the hip um, displacement like he had. I, I don't know, right? So I go, that's probably not for us to say. But I hear you as a possible motive when team doctors say one thing and your doctors say something slightly different. For these situations that don't have, you know, these aren't black and white diagnosis. So, hmm. yeah, you're right. You're right. So awful, awful break for IT. He's hoping he, you know, could at least fill the stat sheet for, the, you know, garbage time the last 20, you know, 10 games here. But but he's done. He's done, isn't he? Yeah. So before we we'll move see. to the East, as I, there's a team I want to touch on uh, that's going to miss the playoffs this year. They're not one of the full-on tanking teams. Uh, in the NBA, but uh, they're clearly not going to make the playoffs. And that's the Dallas Mavericks. So their record is 23-54. and 54. Uh, Obviously, things haven't really gone to plan, although I'm not sure what the plan necessarily was this year. It's certainly not a surprise to any I think, where they've ended up. Uh, Nerlens Noel has come back this week, um, and he's at least playing some minutes, falling back into rotation. So maybe they get another last little look at him before they make a decision on him in the off-season. What what have you made of their season? What do you think the, some of the positives are? And where do you see them sort of heading from here um, for the next sort of for the next few years of the franchise? Well, I think the, if they look take a stock of their season, this roster was basically built to win twenty five games, wasn't it? <laughs> to be honest, right? This was not a team. They didn't get any major free agents. You know, I think we've seen what we saw from West Matthews. You know, post. Achilles, he's a shadow of his former self. Harrison Barnes got the big contract, but he's a he's a role player, so he's an overpaid, nice player. He's nice, but he's not a difference maker. Um, we've had to joke about Dirk because you know he failed the eye test back in November, and even piling insult into injury, uh, Duncan Danny did their 
not sure if you listened to Dunked On at all this last oh, week, but the they worst, did their the defensive, the worst, yeah, there's their worst, their worst defensive teams in the league, and, and made number one and number two at the position, just because he literally can't move and he can't run and he can't bend over. So Dirk is the, you know, I don't know. It's the this is the farewell tour, not quite like Kobe, but in a way a lot like Kobe where he's a detriment to his team, but since the team's going nowhere, let's let the man play. So, um, and then I guess, obviously, the, the what this season fully hinged on, to be, I thought, the end of the season would be, you know, can, can Nerland's Noel find a way to build a bridge with um, two things, right? Can Nerland's build a bridge with, with Carlisle? become a valuable player and, you know, be what we thought he might become, you know, a rim running Clint Capella type who can protect the rim, you know, and make, make his mouth sort of back up, you know, make his game sort of back up some of his mouth. And that's been an obviously an abject failure. Now he got hurt, but he'd also gotten Carlisle's doghouse as well. So I'd say from a, from a development standpoint for their guy hitting unrestricted free agency, I think there's a 0% chance he's back. His value has tanked, and he's not helped him on the floor. So that's been that's been pretty awful. So that was metric number one. Metric number two, right, was Dennis Smith. You know, they hadn't had a draft pick this high or an athlete like this in quite a long time. And I think he's delivered right at expectation, right? Uh, that's my view. I mean, he was. we all sort of thought that he was maybe, you know, that sort of sleeper rookie of the year probably had, you know, was going to get lots of this you know, a lot of meaningless games in, and he has. And he hasn't played a lot of competitive games on a 20-22 win team, I guess as it will be. And he's played what we thought, right? He's explosive, he's quick, he's averaged 15 points a game, he shoots below 40% from the field, but, you know, a, you know, borderline competent, you know, almost 32% from three, which is not awful, I'd say, for a rookie who can shoot the three off the bounce. And, you know, it's five assists, and he's been pretty active. And he's been healthy. He's played 66 games. And, you know, he's been probably what we've expected from a guy with, you know, lots of athleticism, lots of energy, and probably need lots of coaching, right? The trick for a poor Dennis Smith to get tons of minutes and tons of usage, but, you know, who's he passing the ball to when you're surrounded by, you know, Dougie McBuckets and Salah Majiri and Barnes and Dwight Powell and Dorian Finney-Smith and likes of those characters? You know, your, your ceiling is probably pretty limited. So, Look, I say the only thing I disagree with your comment is I think they've, you know, Mark Cuban got fined $600,000 for admitting they were tanking. So this is a team that, you know, I think, but I, I shouldn't say they're tanking because that implies that, you know, like the Chicago Bullsing, resting Robin Lopez, Jonathan Simmons. They're not resting, you know. Oh, these teams, I think, that are aggressively tanking. Like I saw the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, yeah. Marcus Gasol goes off for 28 points in 23 minutes against the Jazz and sits the entire sits. fourth quarter. Yeah, like, yeah. So they're tanking. That they're trying to lose basketball games. Dallas's tank began in October. Like this roster is built to win 25 games. So that's so I'm with you. So I'm with you in that regard that they're not playing to lose these games. They're trying to play competitive ball, and they just don't have you know any of the talent to do so. Um, it just so happens that Cuban said they were. Um, actually, he said it would be better if we lost our games. He didn't say tank, did he? No, better I if we thought lost it was very harsh. I thought he was just being honest um, about the, the incentive structure of the NBA set up. So it would yeah. be better if we lost our games. Now, yeah. you can look at it and go, the fact that they're giving Nerlens Noel minutes, you might say, well, that is a tanking 
that is evidence of tanking, but in a sense, it's like, well, let's see what we've got with this guy. He's going to be unrestricted free agent. Um, they're not they're not throwing lineups out there that you just shake your head over. Like Nolan's Noel's not playing point guard and, and walking no. the ball up the court. Um, some of the lineups <laughs> I'm seeing in Chicago, for example, you just you have to have a double take um, when when they're on the court. Not that I watch a lot of Chicago for that reason, but. Some of those games, you just look at and go, "What? What is going on here?" Um, particularly in Memphis, that's that's been one of the most egregious examples that I've seen. Yeah, um, yeah. Of tanking. So, wh- we've. Where do you think? What, what's well, the ceiling of Dennis Smith? I mean, wh- where do you think? Where where would they be projecting him after one year in the NBA? Look, they're going to be pretty excited. Look, he's look, he's kind of that. Is he? He's probably a little more offensively versatile than an Eric Bledsoe but he's similar in that he's got quite an explosive, like he doesn't have the body of Bledsoe or the strength, but he's got that kind of explosive nature and he doesn't, he's got a little bit of an outside shot like Bled, but you know, it's imperfect, but it's there at times. So I go, is Bledsoe a comp? He probably doesn't defend like Bledsoe, but that would be a pretty good comp. You know, a 10 year guy who can, you know, run a fast break team and, and be a pretty good rebounder for a point guard. And, Look, he should have, and he should, I want to say should, because we've seen it with Michael Carter-Williams, and there's a lot of empty calories, right? I go, but I think Smith just has an athleticism and a swagger about him where, you know, Carter just, MCW just, you know, kind of a, you know, kind of rocks in his head. Let's just say (laughs) say what I'm trying to say. So, look, for want of a better comp, I think Bledsoe would be a, a really good career arc. For for Dennis Smith, you know, make fifteen million bucks a year and play on a play on a team and be a you know like a third option on a really good team. But he's not going to be you know Donovan Mitchell, you know, where he's going to become suddenly the alpha on a team and and you know you know pick a I don't know like a he's not going to be Curry or Allen Iverson. You know, it's twenty five, twenty seven points a game. I don't see it. I guess he could, but it'd be probably on a twenty win team. So I sort of say like a Bledsoe is kind of like my best, not he's a different style player, but in many regards, but that's kind of my career sort of arc for Smith at this point, if I'm feeling optimistic. And if I'm feeling pessimistic, I guess it's, you know, your, I don't know, your typical, I don't know, your, maybe he becomes and slows down and turns into a Jeff Teague, you know, kind of quick, kind of fast, can make some plays and, He'll be a bit of a you know a fifteen and five guy for a bunch of years and maybe play some sixth man, but I I don't know. I guess maybe he's got a ceiling higher than what I'm not observing, but you know somewhere between Teague and Bloodcell would seem to be a very safe sort of arc for me. And then yeah, I don't know what, what do you see with Dennis Smith? Well, I've been, I, to be honest, I haven't watched a lot of the Mavs. They're probably one of the teams I've watched the least amount of, but I, I take the, the Bledsoe comp, certainly the athleticism jumps off the charts with him I'm not doing his, the court vision I'd like to see a little bit better but maybe that will come in time, the worry I have for the, for the Mavs and particularly for Dennis Smith, this team's going to be even worse next year, if, if you can believe that, or at least that's how it projects to me I mean yes they're going to have a high draft pick um, now Dwight, now Dirk's not going to be there, that certainly doesn't hurt them but no, it's no well won't be there. Wesley Matthews won't be there, so they're going to lose. Dirk said he's coming back. Oh, I'll believe yeah. that when I see it because he's been yeah, okay. so poor. But maybe look, I'm sure he'll be around the franchise. But who knows what his minutes will be, even if he is back with the team. But I think they'll lose some of that veteran presence as well. So this is going to be a much younger team. 
Um, Seth Curry will be back. He showed some signs uh, last season. Um, Yogi Farrell's actually been okay again this year. He's been a decent player to have off bench, but you just think this is a team that they're going to have Harrison Barnes as their best player yet again. We've already seen what that ends up with, and I think that's going to be, they're going to be even worse next year um, without some of the veteran sort of presence. And you wonder if Rick Carlisle, does he, does he have the patience for this sort of a rebuild um, or does other opportunities come up where he may sort of look elsewhere as well. So uh, to me, a little bit of an uncertain future because this is going to be a long rebuild now. This is an awful roster and not really anything to build on at the moment. When you look at it, you've got, as you say, Harrison Barnes who on a, he played on the title team and what was he, the fifth best player? on that title team. Maybe, uh, yeah. Maybe. So, you know, we already sort of know where he sits. Um, Dennis Smith, as you say, I think, you know, he could be a, a, a decent point. He still, to me, projects as a bit of a six-man more than anything else. Um, oh, but let's let's wait and see. It's only been one season um, with him yet, and I think you're, you're probably right around the Teague, uh, Bledsoe comparisons. So, yeah... I, Long story short, I'm not overly high on this term for next season. Obviously, the draft pick's going to be interesting, but there's not a lot of assets there that they can move to even get better, and I don't see them as a free agent destination. So just not sure where the, the pathway, the relevance is going to be for them. It's going to be a patient time needed, I think, in Dallas. Last point on this, Nerland's now well. What do you see? So not much of a market for him, but is he a guy... Could you... If I said to you, this time next year, let's say Nerland's Noel signs a one-year contract somewhere, and I say this time next year, Nerland's Noel's a really good news story and he's about to sign a big contract in the off-season. I mean, what, what sort of chance do you give of him resurrecting his career wherever he ends up next? Um, 55%. <laughs> oh, I really go. It's, it's a, I think he... he if he gets his head screwed on and in the right situation and he can accept his role, you know, playing, say, you know, backup big minutes and learns how to run a PNR and attack a rim on, on the pick and roll and not get in foul trouble. He's actually been pretty good at fouls throughout his career, but, you know, be a bit of a rim protector and just be that defensive big who can, who can finish. There's a role for guys like that on, the right contract on a, you know, five million, four million dollar year sort of contract. But if he thinks he's going to, you know, get ten million a year, like John Henson money, then he's then he's dreaming. He, he, the league's passed him by. And I go, he's he's the perfect sort of ironic. They used to be teammates, right, with Okafor, where he has the exact opposite skill set of Jalil Okafor, who's I think Okafor is closer to being out of the league than the Noel. Right, just because he has zero defensive capability, he is a terrible defensive rebounder, and his only offensive skill is in the post. He's not even a, you know, not explosive enough or quick enough to, you know, play any five-one PNR stuff. So that's why I say Noel has a chance, but it's going to be a, you know, he's kicking himself for whatever the contract he turned down was the four-year thirty million was it he turned down three-year. I know he turned down, you know, guaranteed a bunch of guaranteed money, and he's going to regret it, I think. But I, he's got a shot, and he's young enough, right? He's only twenty-three; he'll be twenty-four next year. I think he'll he'll play a couple more years, Daz, and then we'll see. We'll see if he can stay healthy and accept a more modest role and get his head, 
get some good advice from an agent and his managers and in his camp, and he's got a shot. I think he's got a shot. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an attitude adjustment and, and staying healthy and getting on the right team. I think it's it's all going to have to fall into place. So I wouldn't put it fifty five percent. I'd put it a little bit lower than that. But I, I think because there's a, there's probably three or four things that need to fall into place for him um, for him to be relevant. Because if he falls on the wrong team, he can have the best adjustment. That, you can see, and it's it's still going to go pear-shaped, or he could fall on the team where he's at right at the end of the bench, and we don't even see him because uh, they don't know him. So, we'll, we'll we'll one a player to watch, I guess, in free agency just to see what the market is and where he ends up. So let's go over to the Eastern Conference now, Daz. I want to quickly touch on uh, the playoff race there. The biggest interest at the moment is around the one and two seeds because we thought the Raptors had it wrapped up. Well, the Celtics had other ideas, Daz. They're 7-3 in their last 10. They've won six straight after losing Kyrie Irving and Marcus Smart, which we sort of touched on last week. They beat the Raptors uh, in the week just gone. They've also beaten the Jazz. Uh, they beat the, the Trailblazers, which was a game we touched on last week. They're just pulling these wins out left, right and centre, and they're now only two wins back from the Raptors, who they play again this on Wednesday, uh, and if they win that, we see they're now only a game back, and uh, the Raptors are not playing good basketball at the moment. And even if the Raptors hold on that one seed, I'm I'm not liking what I'm seeing from them, and I just think they don't want to take this sort of negative energy into the playoffs. I think they need to turn this around whether well, they hold the one seed or not. I think this has been more about Boston than about Toronto. Look, Demar. Demar has been out, right? He's just—it's nothing big, but he's—you know—he's—he's kind of missing time. And I think they do probably still have one seed sewn up. I'll be honest; I think it's going to be hard to catch up in the last six. That being said, they do play Boston plays Toronto this week, actually in a couple days. So Boston's got at Milwaukee um, after following this Denver game. That'll be interesting. That'll either be Boston will win by thirty, or Giannis will come out breathing fire. Um, then, they, then they play at Toronto, right, on back-to-back nights. Yep. So tough one for Boston at Milwaukee, at Toronto, back-to-back nights. And they got Chicago, Atlanta, Washington, and Brooklyn. So pretty easy schedule. And then Toronto's got um, at Cleveland, again, the Boston game. And versus Indiana, who will be playing to win every single game. And then Orlando, Detroit and then at Miami to finish the season, which could also be a bit of a dogfight. So it's hard for me to see... You know, Boston will have to win the head-to-head in Toronto, um, which I think it'll be hard to do. They have to win that one and then find, find another way to pick up another game against Toronto uh, to catch them because they're two games back, which, look, I guess um, if there's any consolation, Toronto's also on the second night of a back-to-back against Boston that night. So they play at Cleveland and then fly home to play Boston the next night. So. Look, I guess anything can happen. I, I, I'm not too worried about how Toronto's playing, um, to be honest with you. It's been kind of win, win, lose one. They lost a really close one to Cleveland you know, a couple of days ago. They lost a um, – who did they lose to? Oh, they lost to the Clippers, kind of – that was a clunky game. They beat Denver, as you do. You beat Denver if you have IQ. But, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I guess, I'm more impressed with how Boston's persevered through this you know, beating Portland, you know, Utah and Toronto the last few weeks. Um, they equaled out, did they beat, I guess it's a couple of weeks ago, they beat OKC. 
that was two weeks ago. Gosh, I'm going crazy. Well, they beat the Raptors quite comfortably in the past week, and that's that's when I sort of went, okay, this is. That was yesterday. Yeah, I'm a little bit. Yeah. I'm a little bit more concerned about the Raptors uh, and the way they're playing. I've watched a few of their games. They had a long home stand, and they squeaked out a few victories uh, against not great opposition, uh, and lost a few of those at home, including that game to the Clippers. But then to go in and, and a game that they knew if they won that. Celtics were done, and uh, the Celtics. I mean, the scoreline was it was closer game than what it appeared. The, the Celtics got on, on top of them late, but uh, it, it was not a great performance yet again from the Raptors. And I just sort of think, are, are they getting in their own heads again? Is this we'll negative? A little bit of negativity going to seep into their games. Come bottom. So I, I would like to see them steady the ship, win that. If they could beat Cleveland and, and Boston back to back then go, okay, we're back, we're, we're comfortable where we are, or at the very least, obviously, split those get those games and, and beat Boston and, so, and sort out that number one seed. Well, a couple things. I don't know if I read too much into a you know a late March, early April game for a team like this. I, I don't know, right? And secondly, do they? to what extent do they care, considering how a much churn there is in the bottom of the Eastern Conference, right, with you know the garbage between Milwaukee and... Uh, Miami, uh, Washington, and um, those three in particular. They're, you know, any the, all those three teams are so horribly flawed. It'd be very, very hard, you know, for them to be losing any sleep around, you know, making sure they get the one seed versus the two seed. I think, I believe, I think the one seed probably means something. I don't think it means... Oh, I think the two seed, the worry is you, you'll have Cleveland second round, and I think you'd much prefer to have Cleveland the Eastern Conference Finals, assuming the Cavs get that three seed them, for themselves. Yeah, they're only half a game ahead of, of Philadelphia, who've had the, the most ridiculous... They just play tankers. They played tanker teams for three weeks. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, you're right, I guess... But so, with Embiid now hurt, I, it's hard for me to see the Sixers. Well, let's, I guess. Yeah, let's move to the Sixers because yeah. Joel Embiid uh, fractured uh, eye socket uh, in an unfortunate collision with Marco Fultz, which I don't know what Embiid was even doing actually going for the ball. It was a bit of a weird <clears throat> situation. It, it seemed innocuous when it happened. I was watching live when it happened. It seemed very innocuous, but uh, Embiid was clearly hurt, clearly shaken up from the play. And uh, it, it must have just hit him in the, exactly the wrong sort of spot and the wrong way. And uh, he's had that minor Oh, it was, a violent, it was a violent collision. Like, it was a – his head chipped down right at the second that, you know, Fultz was kind of you know, lunging for the ball. So it was a it was a collision. So it must have just been the shoulder blade, right, in the, the bone of yeah, the shoulder. Yeah, it was just the wrong, the wrong spot. For right, him. just bashed him. So orbital bone fracture out at least two weeks, they said. so. Two to four look, weeks was what I heard. So you, you'd yeah, certainly look into the yeah. rest of the regular season, maybe back earlier on the plus. So what, what does it mean for the Sixers? They've won 10 well, straight. Look, They've actually won a couple since he went down. Uh, yep, and they have. Just like clean, Atlanta, and I'll also get yeah. your thoughts on Marco Fultz, who's come back and actually has looked okay. Uh, in his first few games, uh, finally back this season. Yeah, so look, they've got um, Brooklyn at Detroit, Cleveland, Dallas at Atlanta, Milwaukee. So they got six games left, and they're half game behind Cleveland. So, look, that's that's going to be a huge game on for the Philly fans, right? And that game on this Friday, the sixth against Cleveland at home, um, which could you know, obviously they you know, catch up a whole game on Cleveland. 
if that's meaningful to them. Again, I don't know how meaningful it is for them to finish three versus four. Um, I think the Philly fan base just wants Embiid healthy. So look, if they you know if they go three and three, they probably should at least go three and three. Given that they're playing Brooklyn, Detroit, Dallas, Atlanta, it'd be hard not to win three of those games. Um, almost just getting out of bed, and then I think you know the Bucks are so right ridiculous, unpredictable. Cleveland, you know, probably will be dialed in and trying to win that game. And the, I guess at Detroit maybe is one that's tricky. <laughs> so I think you have to pencil them for at least three and three, probably four and two safely. So, and if they go four and two, that's suddenly was that that's a fifty win team. That's 50 and 32. That's crazy. That's wildly exceeding expectations. But, um, um, yeah, look, I think I've, I'm a bit of a broken record. I, I don't. I think this team's not built for the playoffs. I don't know if I'm really worried about playing them. Yeah, I hear you. They're playing loose, and they're, I just don't see how they can execute, you know, across seven games. But, you know, we'll see. Um well, and then ben Simmons, uh, just quickly, he's taken his game to another level since Embiid went down. So that's something to watch, particularly in the Cleveland game. Let's see what Ben Simmons... Do you know he hasn't made a three all season? Yeah, I've heard he's, he's only taken ten, and eight of them are from beyond half court, which means he's been... <laughs> no, really, they're eight of them are from beyond. If you check his shot chart, you know, end of end of quarter, end of half eaves. So he's a feed... But he had 20 points and 15 assists and eight rebounds against Charlotte the other night on a you know a, a casual 10 for 17 from the floor. So he's it's just oh, it's just a shame he had to waste a year at LSU and waste a year hurt. God, imagine how good he could be if he actually played basketball with Roaches the last two years. So he's he's something else. But um, yeah, look, I don't know this again. I'm, I said it last year, last week. Marco Bellinelli and Ursanila Silva have saved this fucking team does. I'm not kidding. They just they just they're playing, they're playing well, big minutes. Bell, Bellinelli's and, hardly missed, and I've always liked the Savers game. But that doesn't surprise me at all. I'm I'm glad to see him on a team that's relevant because he's sort of been going from team to team with all these bottom feeders. Yeah, and he's always been better than that. Even on the Bucks, he was a good player on the Bucks. For he's a hacker. He's a hacker. He's a great eighth man. He's your perfect eighth man, right? He could get you twenty. He'll always rebound. He'll always get under your skin. As the opponent team, when he draws a charge, he's just a great, he never complains. He's just a great teammate. So scrappy guy. So he plays winning basketball, that kid. So yeah, good on, good on them. But yeah, look, uh, the the most fun though, right, was we've overlooked it, was when Fultz's first game back. That was actually the, in the very beginning of this week. And, you know, he airballed his first shot and you're like, oh God, oh, oh God, please God, no. But he, he settled down, and uh, it was a bit of a garbage time. Of course, it was Denver. And he had a couple of really, you know, had a couple of moves off the dribble. It looked silky as anything. It looked like no time had passed. And he scored, what did he score, 10 points. You know, he was 5 of 13, so he was, he was getting the ball up. And he had 10 points and 8 assists. You know, these weren't exactly complex assists, but, uh, mm. you know, he looked good. He looked good for a guy who's 55 or 60 games in a row, whatever it was. What so, I liked, too, was the fact that he shot the ball 13 times, and, and it was probably too many for that night. But it was like there was no hesitation. There was no like, a confidence there. And I think that's a big tick to the, the Philly coaching staff as much as anything else to be able to get him out there yeah. and give him the confidence to be able to shoot the ball, even though the shot still didn't look as smooth as what it did back in the, when he was at Washington in his college days. But uh, it's, it certainly was a... I think Philly but, fans would be feeling much better 
watching him and, and you could see some of the signs, particularly the way he's finished around the rim already, um, of well, why they sort of took him so high. The, the, the athleticism, the, the body control, the size, right, the vision. So he looks bigger than 6'4". He looks like he's 6'5", 6'6". So he's just, he's got that beautiful, just perfect NBA sort of backcourt body. He had quickness um, off the bounce and then, but right, we were all holding our breath. He airballed the one, but he made a few shots, and you know he's five for thirteen, and he's actually live six, ten, twelve for twelve for thirty-one from the floor in his four games back. But we were holding our breath because he didn't take a free throw. But I'm pleased to say he's taken four free throws, and he's three for four since he's been back. So, you know, small small sample <laughs> size, but hey, these four free throws live in the game are far more valuable than the. You know, the grainy YouTube videos we've been seeing, you know, pitching them. And, of course, YouTube videos don't show us the 500 free throws he took before. I'd only the three shots that, you know, look like he's, you know, <laughs> shooting with, the, you know, three broken elbows. But Fultz is back. And, uh, yeah. oh, the big question was... for... <laughs> the big Sorry. question for Brett Brown is um, how much he actually buys him now because it, it seems that him and Simmons can't share the court together. Neither of them are shooting the three ball at all. So then obviously that, that affects the spacing. And as it's turned out, the first few games, at least uh, he has subbed Simmons out of the game. So he's coming in and playing the point guard. 100%. Fultz is off the bench playing a bit of combo only when Simmons is on. Yep. He's only been playing 15 minutes a night, you know, 14, 14, 19, and 16. That's his minutes total for folks the last four games. So pretty clear what I like about Brown. And again, I could would just tell by looking at the lines, he's got a specific role. He plays at specific times in the game, in a specific rotation. And that's the best way to help a young guy get predictability and ease his way back into it. And you know what? He's only committed two turnovers, right? So he's got yeah, an 8, 15... Impressive. 19 assists and two turnovers. So he's, again, tiny sample sets, but it looks like he's playing within himself. That's what it looks like. So uh, so let's not go too far. Fultz is back. Fultz is playing. He made three out of four free throws. And everyone should be re- everyone should rejoice because he wasn't the unanimous number one for, for no reason. He was. This wasn't an Anthony Bennett pick. This was a just about universal, maybe minus Danny fucking Ainge. But this was the universal number one pick in a really good draft. So let's 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 see what happens. So I I'm 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 actually really excited for Fultz. I, I love I love how he played at Washington, so um, I, I like his game more than Embiid's, I'll be I'll be <laughs> honest. So I'm I, I can't wait. I can't wait. No, it's been positive signs. So the last thing, there's not really much else to talk about. Well, obviously, the the Heat, Bucks, and Wizards will watch uh, for positioning there, and obviously the Bucks particularly watching that in terms of uh, keeping their pick. But the other team I wanted to talk about was another team that, and then they're not mathematically out of the playoffs yet, but it certainly seems likely that they're going to miss the playoffs, uh, is the Detroit Pistons. And uh, they've been one of the more disappointing teams. I think everyone sort of had them in the playoffs. Uh, but they have played better recently, Daz, since uh, Reggie Jackson came in. Now, Blake Griffin has been injured. He's out for the, this week. He, they're hoping he'll be back before the end of the season. Uh, but 7-3 and three in their last 10, they've won their last five straight, and a lot of that obviously on the back of when Reggie Jackson came in. So how optimistic should Detroit fans be about next season? Could you look at the New Orleans Pelicans perhaps and say, 
okay, last season, Boogie and Anthony Davis looked terrible together and we're all questioning how they'd go heading into the season. And actually, when they had the off-season to work on it together and actually formulate a game plan around these two guys, it, it worked. Now, obviously, Griffin and Drummond are different guys, but Drummond's had a much better season this year. Blake is putting up numbers, even though you could argue how effective he's actually been since going to Detroit, certainly from a win-loss perspective, it hasn't been fantastic. Uh, and Reggie Jackson, I wouldn't be putting too much hope on him being healthy. So I guess look at this roster, similar to what we've done with D- D- um, Dallas, obviously a little bit more optimism, cause for optimism for Detroit, but how much more cause for optimism would you have uh, when looking at this roster? Not much. Look, Dallas doesn't have many assets. They don't really have... And they've only got their picks, right? but they've got, you know, as we were just comparing, Dallas will have the number five pick, if all things bounce right in the number 35 pick. Um, they should, you know, I guess have some, <clears throat> pardon me, but, you know, they don't have any, they don't have any tradable assets. I guess Barnes could, could net you something, right? But I'm actually, you know, Detroit has these giant salaries, right? They've got Blake and Drummond, you know, two gigantic salaries in their cap and, Look, they're playing meaningful minutes, Daz, with guys like meaningful minutes. They're playing big minutes. Anthony Tolliver and Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock and Eric Moreland and Ish Smith are getting big minutes. And I go, that that should be bench guys. So they are at least they're at least two starters down from being a team that I even could care about in the Eastern Conference, right? If you had Jackson, Drummond, and Blake, I mean, you cannot have Stanley Johnson Anthony Tolliver and Reggie Bullock, you know, as your three, you know, three starters. Now, granted, you probably sub up Tolliver for Blake when he's healthy, but you can't, you can't be playing 35 minutes a night with Bullock and Johnson. And they've gotten nothing from Henry Ellenson. Looks like he hasn't developed into a possible, you know, Frank Kaminsky sort of styled, you know, Zach Collins styled, you know, bigger white guy who's got some good footwork and can shoot the three. He hasn't done much. Um, quite a disappointment of, dare I say, probably a bust. Luke Kennard is at the wall, um, but Luke is, I think he's played pretty well. Well, he shot pretty, 40% from three. Just Kennard, 40, so that's... 40% from three on, on tiny volume, but, you know, he plays his 18, 20 minutes a night. And I think probably even more, again, I'm, I'm taking Duncan Danny on this, but it been a more competent tender than we thought, you know, coming out of Duke. So he's not been as lost as, you know, say Ingram and Jabari and some others come in and Okafor. You know, the Duke pedigree doesn't turn out defenders, to say the least. So, you know, Luke's, yeah, he's a rotation player. But, you know, the entire franchise hinges on Jackson, Drummond, and Blake. And between Jackson and Blake, you know, they've, you know, they're two, two players with extremely long injury histories. And Andre Drummond, who's, you know, got a... He's got a very specific, specific game. So, th- th- as we said at the time, it was a very desperate move to get Blake. Um, I guess it's theoretically possible that Blake could lead this team to a, you know, forty-four wins next year. It could even be probable. You know, it leads them to four wins, but I, I don't know how they're going to use their various, you know, roster building tools and avenues. Know, to turn the Anthony Tollivers and Stanley Johnsons and Reggie Bullocks and Eric Morlands into, you know, into one or two more, you know, much more high impact starters and, and maybe cheapen their bench. They just they need to completely reshape their roster. Does is guess what I'm trying to say? Yeah, that's what you um, need. I mean, that's the competitive advantage, isn't it? You need a, t- a Stanley Johnson to hit. You need a Luke Kennard to hit. Like you need a Draymond Green to hit. 
they're the sort of guys, them second round picks, late, even mid to late first rounders, to really pop. And they haven't had it. You know, they've obviously Drummond has been a really one really good player that they've had. Everyone else they've sort of got from free agency or through other trades. I mean, you look at those they sent out was Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley. Well, they weren't developed through their system. Reggie Jackson was signed from OKC. So they just haven't had anyone else come through other than Drummond. You know, they had five minute Greg Monroe, um, who sort of pretty much has topped out as a, as a nice bench piece um, at best for other teams. So they just haven't had those guys. And they've got boarding guys like uh, James Ennis, has come in this year as well. He hasn't probably played as well as what they would have hoped uh, since he came in. And you know, you're not when you're playing Tolliver to your point, big minutes. He's 32. He's not exactly a young up and comer. Um, Reggie Bullock's 26 now. We sort of know what we've got from him, and he's had a decent season from his set. But you just wonder where's the player that's going to take them up from that 40, 45 wins season that they're probably going to have I mean if, if I said to you Blake plays 82 games, Reggie Jackson plays 82 games and Drummond plays 82 games what are they? They're, I mean they're still no better than a 45-46 win team are they? Yeah that's a 45 win team I would say but there's 0% chance they all play 82 right? I guess that's that's a that's a, that's a thing you just can't you can't discount right? Mm. Um, <laughs> you, you just can't do it. So look I I think Stan is probably his seat's probably really hot, but I think because of the big trade, he probably does deserve you know one more draft and you know a full season in preparing his team with um, with Blake. Uh, obviously, it's going to be much more difficult because they've right their um, uh, obviously their their pick went to their pick went to LAC right from Detroit. Yeah, of course, their first round pick is going to Detroit. So they don't have a first round pick. Right, so their their team is their team, and they don't have uh, cap space, so it's going to be uh, re-engineering of you know the bottom of the roster, and re-engineering an offensive scheme with Reggie, with Reggie and Blake. And that's the other interesting thing is Reggie Jackson is ball dominant. He's bad with ball in his hands and playmaking, and you know playing Drew Holiday style, as you said, you know high usage, high field goal attempts, and getting to the line and. You know, how is Blake going to play off of that? You know, Reggie Jackson is not fucking Chris Paul by any stretch. And so I just, how is he going to play? Are they going to play a pick and roll set or how's it going to work? So it's, you're going to really need some excellent coaching to get the most out of a lane clogging Drummond and um, a Blake who really should have ball in his hands, right? Uh, not all the time, but you know, he's, you have to be coming off all kinds of screens and actions and things that, so they got a massive coaching challenge on their hand, I think, is the point that has. I think the team's largely going to be this team. I think you'll see, you know, the bottom five roster spots change over. And, you know, maybe someone, maybe there's a team out there that likes Stanley Johnson. You know, he's a young guy. He's only 21, um, quite defensive-minded, just has no offensive sort of instincts to him. Maybe there's a team out there that likes that, and they can get, you know, they can get something for a Stanley Johnson or, you know, maybe someone sees something in Ellenson, but, you know, get an asset back. But it's going to be tricky without a pick and without cap space, like where's the improvement going to come from? It's going to have to be coaching. So we'll see. I think Stan Van's going to get one more year, but um, it's a tough slog. And then we start comparing it to, you know, if the, a real coach gets Milwaukee with Philadelphia's, you know, core with Boston, with Cleveland being Cleveland, Toronto, it's really hard. We start stacking it up against the East to go, gosh, even at their best, their best case scenario with their $115 million roster is to be a six seed. 
you know, it's kind of what Detroit's facing. Yeah, well, to make it even more um, stark, I guess, uh, looking back on that trade now, Tobias Harris is the numbers he's putting up in LA almost mirror what uh, what Blake was able to put up in uh, in Detroit since he got there. It's just that uh, Tobias Harris doesn't have the assist numbers. Um, he's about half the assists that Blake does, but he's given the same point total, about the same rebounds, and half the assists. So that's a pretty big trade, Daz, to get three extra assists a game. <laughs> and, to get, and to get a $35 million salary. <laughs> $35 million salary. So... As I said, he's, he's, he's kind of numbers, but they're not being eye-popping numbers. And I think, you know, just looking at the tables now, 19 points a game, six assists a game, six rebounds, uh, or six and a half rebounds, to be fair to him. Um, but two and a half turnovers a game too, so he's been turning the ball over a little bit. That's not a great assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, I think they would have wanted those numbers to be much higher. Now, I guess... From Stanford Youngie's point of view, maybe he says, "Look, give me an off-season. Let me get him in my system, and we will see those numbers excel." But this is not a guy that we've been expecting his game to um, ex- like get better as he gets older. So I'd be pretty concerned um, if I was Detroit. But then again, you go to the trade and you think, "What else were they going to do? They're going nowhere with Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley, etc. Anyway, so why not roll the dice?" and bring in a superstar. So I still get it from their point of view. I'm still not 100% sold on, on the Clippers either um, in terms of what they're going to be going forward. Um, I, I, sort of, I, I guess you've got to look at it. Early returns would suggest it's a big win for the Clippers in terms of this trade. For sure. I mean, with Jerry West now, it's settled in the, in the seat, and that's the thing. this is all about, the, as I think we talked about when the trade first happened, is we thought that his contract was the no trade clause and that you could find one desperate team willing to take Blake was a miracle. And you just, anyone again with half a sensible mind can see how Blake Griffin is not going to age well at all, right? He's going to age not gracefully. He doesn't have a game like, you know, um, like Zebo, right? I guess he might have to develop it, but I could go, that's, he's not going to age well. If he loses explosiveness and what, what's he got, I guess, you know, uh, is he got a post game? Is he going to turn into um, Brook Lopez and shoot, you know, six three point? I don't know. So it, I still, I still give this a. It was a much, much easier trade for, for the Clippers to make, I would say, than Detroit. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I guess we can only see what Stan can do in the off season. But it just, we this isn't going to end well. It's. Stan Stan will be fired. <laughs> Let's be honest. He's going to get fired. Reggie Jackson ain't going to play 82 games. If he does play 82 games, he's going to want the ball. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see how this goes. But oh, look, I could see it I, working to an extent if Reggie Jackson can stay healthy, but I, just, I can't see it. And, 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 of course, if Blake stays healthy. Yeah, if they – so I still – I said that I thought they should be trading, looking for someone to take, take Drummond. He's a unique – he's a unique player – Right, he's quite unique, and I think he would have value in places where you someone can average fifteen and fifteen. So I, I thought they should have traded him. I don't I don't know how tradable he's going to be, but I still think that's their most their most movable asset to both one give give Blake and Reggie Jackson the space to space to maneuver and play, and two perhaps get them a bit of an asset to help them. You know, I think to that mix, I I, I just don't see. 
I don't see how he fits with two guys who you know want to slash and can't shoot the three. He just want they want to slash and get to the rack, right? So that's I don't I don't get it. Well, here's an interesting yeah. question without notice. So who whose position would you rub in at the moment? So the Dallas Mavericks, who we've spoken about, we're probably both on the same page that they're going to be a twenty twenty five win team at best again next year. Not looking great. Or the Detroit Pistons, who, if everything goes right, could be a 45-win team, and they're probably at worst they're going to be a again a 38 to 40-win team. Who, who, who would you rather be at this point in time? I mean, if I'm a GM, like which team would I rather be? GM or, or fan? Yeah, which well, GM? Which team would you rather be running? Yeah, I look. I'd rather if I'm the general manager, I'd rather have the Mavericks. Um, if I'm the owner, I probably would rather have Detroit's roster, and just because they've got players who can, you know, put bums in seats and get me to the playoffs, and you know, have a bit of excitement. Right? There's no excitement coming for the next few seasons in Dallas. Right? This is they're in a process, whether they want to be or not. But if I'm a general manager and my task is to, right, just just call it, a win, have as many 50 win seasons as possible. You know, I still think it's actually easier with the team with the with a healthy salary cap, and all of its draft picks full stop. So I, I yeah, I guess I'd I'd rather take over the beleaguered Mavs, knowing I'll probably win twenty five next year and probably twenty seven or twenty three the year after that, and 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 trust my scouts and trust my ability to have Dennis Smith, and maybe I've got Dennis Smith and Marvin Bagley. Next year, and then maybe have Dennis Smith, Marvin Bagley, and you know, someone else special the year after that. And maybe, maybe by then, Dennis Smith is, you know, scoring twenty points a game, and Bagley has become Jace Hayden, and you got and you've got something with some you know twenty year olds. So it's just because I just don't see any roster building tools left in the toolkit for Dallas, where they they lost to two for 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 Denver. Sorry, the D teams for Detroit. <laughs> They got rid of two of their tools in one trade, right? They lost first round draft pick and killed their salary cap by acquiring Blake. So they've their two of their three avenues for improving next year are gone. So what they need is masterful coaching and masterful health masterful health and and I guess there's possible. I guess there's you know, maybe there's some untrapped, you know, Henry Ellenson, Luke Kennard, Stanley Johnson potential, but you can bet they're not gonna get my rating like I did last year. I'm still patting myself on the back for predicting Siakam, Pirtle, F- and the rest of it. Right? They're just not going to have Toronto like on potential there. So yeah, I agree. I'm going Dallas. Yeah. Who would you rather take over? Can you imagine oh, taking over that Detroit roster? It's or? hard with Detroit. I mean, it, because there's not much you're going to be able to do anyway. So you've really just second let it play out now. Um, That's right. Yeah. Because your hands are tied by by the what they've already done. So um, I guess from a fan's point of view, you're going to be much. It's going to be much better the next few years in Detroit in terms of just the win-loss perspective, but um, there's not a lot of hope there either that things are going to, that they're going to somehow put over the top uh, and become a contender all of a sudden. Whereas at least I guess with Dallas, you can watch the young guys like Dennis Smith and others, um, young guys that they're going to draft in the next few years come up through the ranks and uh, hopefully turn them into a contender down the track and obviously it's going to be a few more years down the track for Detroit so from a GM point of view I, I think you're spot on I mean from a GM point of view Dallas is probably the more attractive option just in terms of you able to build build a bit more of a blank slate but from an owner's point of view and from a fan's point of view I think you're probably looking towards Detroit just at this point 
in time. Um, at least you can sort of root for, for Blake coming back next year um, and seeing where where he is able to take them and having a little bit of hope we can see a, one more vintage Blake season um, that we were able to see uh, in his peak days from the Clippers. But I certainly don't have any great great feel for uh, that will next year does. No. Look, I, I leave open a guy as skilled as Blake can reinvent himself and have a productive, you know, productive, you know, late 20s, early 30s career. It's just I think it's it's stated in the obvious to say he's not going to earn he's not going to earn his 35 million a year that's for sure so i think if he can become you know a really reliable you know you know an 18 and 8 sort of player you know with a post game and a nice touch around the rim and the ability to kind of stretch out every now and again but when you've come off being that explosive a player and you're relying now more on just skill and and positioning i think that's that's just a tough ask i, I think of a guy but you know look maybe he can do it maybe he'll be, have a graceful you know, a graceful aging process. It's just no. I think there's zero percent chance he he's going to be worth that contract. Yeah, I agree. So let's, we might wrap it up there. There's a couple of last little things. Firstly, the NBL Grand Final. I'm not sure if you, you saw Game Five of that, which was on Saturday. Uh, the Melbourne United wrap, but it was actually a bit of a disappointing Grand Final series in the sense that none of the games were actually close. The individual games. I think Game Four got close for a little bit, but Adelaide ended up winning that. So, but congratulations to Melbourne United. They won. They were the best team all year, so they ended up winning uh, the grand final. The, the final of the uh, NCAA tournament is tomorrow. The women's tournament actually got more buzz than the men's this year. Have you seen, Did you see any of the, the ridiculous shot that the women's team from Notre Dame hit? No. That? What happened? Oh, the, so they beat UConn, who of course went out through undefeated again this season and then lost in the final four. They beat them with a last second um, two-pointer and then today they won the title with a last second three-pointer um, from the same player. His name escapes me at the moment. but uh, if you get the Two chance, beaters. Two buzzer beaters in back-to-back games and actually all the games were just fantastic. The, the other game um, also, which was Mississippi State, who made the... Uh, the, the final against Notre Dame won their final four matchup in overtime as well. So three really good games of women's basketball there. So if you if you haven't seen the highlights, I'd go and check them out on ESPN or YouTube or wherever you can get hold of them. And tomorrow is going to be uh, Michigan and Villanova and Villanova being just shooting the lights out from the three-point line, whereas Michigan is sort of getting it more done defensively uh, themselves. So that's going to be a really interesting matchup. Really good defense. It's a very good offense. Uh, tomorrow, hopefully it's a good match in the NCAA tournament. And then in a massive day on Wednesday, days of NBA basketball, just a couple of games, Thunder Warriors, Bucks Celtics, uh, Rockets Wizards, Cavs Raptors, and Spurs Clippers. So all sort of teams that still have... Um, are still looking at the playoffs and are still uh, got uh, their seasons aren't over, so they're going to be playing hard. So there's probably five or six really good games on Wednesday um, once we get past the NCAA tournament tomorrow. I just um, I'm hoping for one of the new three-way contracts and um, have DJ Wilson suit up for the Wolverines and he can just stay. <laughs> In Michigan for the rest of the season for this final game, and then you know he can just go hang out in the dorm, you know, do his hair and stuff like that. So I think there's a new three-way contract 
that we're we're trying to draw up here here this evening as well, Daz. So that's well, our hope. We do need to talk next week. It was one of the things we we're going to talk about tonight, but we've sort of run out of time. About the, um, one of the top recruits from high school actually skipping college and going straight to the G League. So it's already started, Daz. Uh, the the players are part of college going straight to the G League and hopefully that will obviously spill over to Australia and the, and the Next Stars program um, that we spoke about a few weeks ago. Much to discuss on that one. I'm not even going to touch it. It's a great development and we I look forward to digging into that one in 48, 49, 50. Yep. Okay. No problems, Daz. Look, good to talk to you again, mate, and uh, look forward to another good week of basketball coming up. Can we just promise our viewers episode 48, don't ask about the Bucks first story? <laughs> I'm all feeling quite guilty about, it's a bit sheepish about that. It's been a, it's been a frenetic season. So well, they keep getting in the news. I mean, it's been, it has been a storyline this week, just how bad the coaching has been and, and how bad the games have been. Yeah, I guess you did have Bill Simmons, as you pointed, Bill Simmons tweeting as he's obviously a very famous Clippers season ticket holder was there to watch that game this week and was lamenting about how awful the thing he called them rudderless was his, his word for the Bucks. Like they just have no, there's just no purpose to them. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So they're in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Odez. Yeah. Um, well, let's hope that they blow another eight point lead with a minute to go and we don't have to, uh, to look back on another uh, way for week. They're playing five on eight. It's tough. It's tough. <laughs> five on eight. Okay, buddy. All right, Des. I'll talk to you next week, week, mate. Jeez. Bye.